What is up, everybody? Welcome to our Train Rex Sports podcast, where we pay the bills. And we're back for another week here, recapping the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was a good trip to London. There was, I don't think they didn't get the time to enjoy anything, and they definitely didn't enjoy it on Sunday. We didn't enjoy our Sunday morning, and then we look ahead to a date with Brian Dayball and the New York Giants on Sunday. So I'm here, Jake Micah, joined once again by my co-host, Mike Partha. Mike, we had a Sunday morning. We were all hyped up. I'm sure you had your your coffee next to you, maybe some bacon, French toast, whatever. And then it was (laughs) an ugly, just ugly football for about three hours, you know, pretty much. And the score doesn't show how ugly it really was, too. Yeah, I can't say I, I predicted this and neither one of us predicted, predicted this. We were both thinking uh, blowout all the way. But I can't say that I had a Star Warsian bad feeling about this game based <laughs> on past Jaguars games and the idea of maybe a letdown game after a big win over Miami. Uh, I wish I would have been had more conviction to say that. But, but who could have predicted all the things that went down in this game between uh, inconsistent refereeing, uh, multiple injuries. It was a mash unit on the defense, essentially, and things, uh, decisions on the offense from either an execution standpoint or a play calling standpoint that were kind of baffling. And we'll get into those a little bit, but uh, it's another one of the long line of Jaguars games that we touched on uh, last week. I can't believe that we're sitting here talking about a long line of Jaguars games. Another one to add to the to the list. Um, it was, yeah, it. There's a lot of issues that we're going to get into here. I think the first thing I want to talk about, though, is the offensive side of the ball because they did at seven points, Mike, going into the last four minutes of that game. And then the, th- the th- this is what drives me crazy is because they can look like that for for a large amount of the game. Their offense can look. I don't know if it's inept. I guess that's a word you could use, but just ineffective. The execution was poor in, in key situations specifically. They looked a little disjointed. And if you look at the passing chart from Josh Allen, you could tell where the disjointedness comes from. They didn't want to go over the middle of the field at all. Like there was just, oh yeah, the Jags were able to take away a lot of what the Bills like to do. But also it's so frustrating because then you see Josh Allen just go into schoolyard bullshit mode and <laughs> They score. They go down the field and score at will. And I know it's gar- it's you know it's end of a game, whatever else. But we've seen Allen do this all the time, like uh, throughout his career, where they're like in a desperation time and they can just sprint down the field with ease. And it's so frustrating to see that after you see them struggle for a large amount of the day. And it's just it's there's some kind of disconnect, or maybe it's just Allen playing free in those moments, and or it's something else. Am I missing here? Like. Is that something that bothers you too? Or what were your just overall thoughts on the offensive struggles throughout the majority of the day? Well, if you look at the raw numbers and sometimes statistics lie, but only if you don't know how to dissect them. So, Mm. I mean, Allen has had a pretty good QBR this season, uh, uh, 86.7 in this particular game. But as you said, those numbers are inflated by uh, the last two drives, both of which were 75 yards each and both of which were mostly passing uh, all the yards were accounted for by Allen, whether they were rushing or passing. And that's the Jaguars playing mostly in prevent, especially the last uh, defensive drive of them. Uh, they punted on six of their first seven drives. There was, vir- like you said, there was virtually no pass attempts in, in the interior between the numbers by Allen. Uh, there was one time where he underthrew Diggs on that so-called arm punt. That could have been a touchdown if Diggs was able to fight away from the ball mm-hmm. or if Josh had put like a couple more yards on it. But uh 
I mean, I don't want to go to the Ken Dorsey bashing because it's a little cliche at this point, but they definitely went away from going under center and utilizing play action like so many people yes. have been saying that they've been so good at. Dan Orlovsky's been hammering that point in. So just some some of the stats for, as far as that is concerned. 81% of the snaps were out of the shotgun. That's 47 out of 58. Uh, there were only eight plays under center through the first seven drives. Allen only attempted six passes from under center the whole game, and only five play action passes. All went all all the play action passes that he completed. I think it was five of six that he attempted. Uh, went for at least fourteen yards or more. So you wonder what why what made them decide to get away from going under center and utilizing play action? All the data for the last three or four years that people have been arg- arguing over it and looking at it more analytically is showing that you do not need to establish the run to utilize play action passes for them to be effective. In fact, some, some of the data suggests that utilizing play action passes is what frees up the run. It's Mm -hmm. like the exact opposite of what is traditionally thought of in coaches and quarterbacks. Um, So they went back to second and long runs and shotgun draw plays. There were some quick out plays where, Players weren't able to get separation. There was especially that two-point conversion where Shakir could have had an easy run to the end zone if it could could have been able to break one tackle. But is that the play design that he's supposed to be expected to play, break a tackle? Yeah. Or is that just poor play design to not get him free? So, I mean, I could, I didn't even look up how many drops there were in this game. Uh, <laughs> I know there was one uh, big uh, uh, Gabe Davis drop. He otherwise had a good game. He had 100 yards, 200-yard mm-hmm. receivers. But again, how much of that was uh, uh, 75 yards on each of uh, the final drives? Uh, Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox are kind of enigmas right now because they're not performing up to what we would think uh, from a 12 personnel offense. Uh, let's go through some of this stuff here. Uh, Joe B from the Buffalo Beat, who actually just returned after the birth of his kid. Uh, we welcome him back to the overall Buffalo oh, media yeah. scene. But he pointed out that since 2019, the only players with a shorter depth of target Yes. Uh, besides Dalton Kincaid, have been running backs. He's actually running longer routes. He's just not being used on them. His average depth of route, route depth is 7.1 yards, mm-hmm. 1-1 yards. is 14th in the NFL. Sam Laporta is actually 17th in that regard. So maybe, and this is something that uh, has also been pointed out or suggested, is it maybe that in Laporta's case, he's not the number one or no, he is the number one or number two guy on that passing offense. And Kincaid here might be the third or fourth option. And mm-hmm. Allen's only utilizing looks to him when he can't find Diggs or Davis open. I, you, thank you. I had that stat right here about the depth of target for Kincaid to bring up that conversation because it's Allen. I think you're dead on. I think it's Allen. I think it comes down to Allen's trust where, where he tr- trust. Yeah. But I, I don't know. And I don't even know if it's that he doesn't trust Kincaid, but he's just going to default to Davis and Diggs like that. When he, when all else fails, if he doesn't trust the scheme, if he doesn't, if he wants to change things up, like th- that's just where he's been looking. And I think it's been like the better part of the last, last year too. Like there was, it, it seems like when he gets in trouble, he only, he gets tunnel vision on those two guys and it works. Like, that's the thing is like you said, Gabe Davis had an amazing, he ended up having a great game. He was six for a hundred yards. Diggs was dominant on Sunday. Like Diggs was the engine again but the the Kincaid thing is it's baffling because you see that passing chart and you see there's no throws over the middle of the field and you look in there 
And it's like, why isn't this what Dalton Kincaid is supposed to do is dominate this middle of the field and be utilized in there. And he's just not either a not being utilized there or B Allen isn't looking to him in those situations when he, when he could be utilized there. And I don't know what it is. It could be. And I don't want to put it all like you said on Dorsey, because it, it seems it is kind of cliche at this point to blame everything on Dorsey. And I don't think the fan base in general gives Allen enough blame, even when he has a good game for missing opportunities. You brought up a point, a great point about the throw to, to Diggs, the deep throw that got intercepted. If he leads him, that's probably a touchdown. He threw it behind yeah. him. Diggs, Diggs is going up there. It's a 50, 50 ball, you know, whatever. But if he leads him, it's a touchdown. There's the one earlier, the deep ball where Diggs had to make a jumping catch for it. He hits Diggs in stride on that, and Diggs doesn't have to jump. Maybe Diggs makes that safety miss on one move, and he's running for 20 more yards. Or maybe he makes a cut and is running for 15 more yards, and they're in field goal position right after that or something. And those are little things, and they're still big chunk plays that when you look at the stats, like you said, after the game, Allen's stats look great. When you look at the stats, it doesn't tell you that that could have like that could have been a bigger explosive play, and it could have been a game-breaking play. And those are the misses. Allen – there's a thing about Allen that I've noticed in his whole career. Like you're because of the accuracy issues. It feels like you can tell within like the first couple, maybe the first quarter, like if he's pinpoint on, he's basically going to be pinpoint on for most of the game. He was not pinpoint accurate at any point in that he was missing guys. Like it, it not, not missing guys, but just thro- not throwing to them where, they could catch and run or they were having to make adjustments and things like that. And it affected him the whole game. Those two opportunities are the biggest misses in there, but it was every, like I just, the beginning thing there, everything just felt a little disjointed. And I don't know if that's an Allen thing. I don't know if that's a Dorsey thing. I don't know if that's, we're going to talk about the travel, which clearly did not work out in their favor. If that was part of it too, but it seems like when all else fails and this offense is struggling and they were struggling that Allen just like, I'm going to just throw to Diggs and Davis and we're going to figure it out. And sometimes it works and sometimes it does it. And I mean, I, I can't blame the guy for wanting to just throw the ball to Stefan Diggs. I say every Sunday, I think just th- start throwing to 14. He's always open all these things. And I truly believe that this year, now that with the outlook that we're looking at with the Buffalo bills, that Stefan Diggs needs to be the bills best player for them to have their best chance at reaching their goals at this point. Allen needs to be great, obviously, too. But Diggs, the way they're using everybody else, Diggs has to be like, have his best season of his career, I think. He has to be, he's on pace for, I think, 1,700 yards. He needs Mm -hmm. to really do that for them to be in these games, I feel like, going forward. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a recipe for success because I'm disappointed in the tight ends, man. And we're talking about Kincaid. I'm a little worried. I've, I'm on Dawson Knox watch here because there were, you're talking about some big drops. Knox had a couple of drops again in this game. The yeah. one drop he had, what is he going up for a one-handed catch in that scenario for? <laughs> like he tried to make some crazy highlight real play. And these are things that have happened to Knox a lot this year. And even last year too, he had, not like he was, you know, killing it more last year. And so it's, again, it's another conversation. Was Dayball scheming Knox open more or is Knox not taking advantage of opportunities? But I, I, I don't know. And you mentioned the Shakir thing too. That seems like a personnel thing. Why wouldn't you want Deontay Hardy, like the guy that you brought in to be the fast, more you know, shifty, guy, yeah. more elusive guy rather than Shakir in that situation? So there's just like, there's puzzling things from both Allen and Dorsey throughout this whole game. And that's what I wonder is they're just like a disconnect between what they want to do when it 
come not during the week. Obviously, they seem like they're aligned when it comes like they seem like they have a good relationship, like respect each other, have good rapport, everything else. But when the bullets start flying on game day, it feels like Allen and Dorsey that something and it's against good like against good defenses, against defenses that give them trouble. That's they when they face a team that they they can overmatch teams with their talent because Allen is just that good that this offense is just that good and we've seen that the last couple weeks so it's like again hard to complain about the offense when you see all these charts every week and the bills are all the way in the top right but when you're watching in the moments in these games and you see those things happen that's that's what worries me a lot going forward is the disconnect that i've seen yeah i mean we can you know plurality pie between Allen and Diggs and uh uh Ken Dorsey's play calling like Bruce's exclusive probably has already done this week, but you can't deny when you're having so much success under center and in play action and you go away from that. Uh, and all of a sudden you don't have the same success. Yeah. Uh, I, I, like I said, I don't want to do the cliche thing and put, put it on Ken Dorsey, but no, but you're right. Stats, because stats Play that out. He brought it up this week too. He's like, well, yeah, we got, we want, we always strive for balance and we got away from our balance. They had eight snaps under center on Sunday. Well, well, coaches often talk about balance between run and pass, <laughs> but of course all the stats bear out, all the analytics bear out that pass yeah. gives you a lot more efficiency than running plays. Yeah. And I've seen uh, analytics where it says you should only keep your running plays to short yard situations and uh, red zone situations. So, I mean, you want to run the ball efficiently when you do, but that, but balance doesn't mean 50, 50 run mm-hmm. pass. And I don't think by the same token, 50, 50 on passing play should mean, 50 percent shotgun, 50 percent center. Agreed, but I, I the the C to eight and the everything you're saying that they just didn't utilize it as much this week. When it is, it's the weapon that everybody in the league has been using. And Allen clearly things were easy for him. So I don't know. I don't know if they they. I feel like maybe they went away from PA because that D line was just. I mean, Walker and Josh Allen were they were they were having a great game, and that the edges were getting up field right away. But I still feel like that kind of helps freeze the path. Like, I don't know. It's just, it was a, it was a very confusing game plan from the offense, but I want to talk about the the defense a little bit because Matt Milano and Daquan Jones, not necessarily out for the season, but out for a large amount of the season at this point. Um, the defense had a good, I still think they had like a, a decent performance. Lawrence was able to hit, was able to have a pretty effective game, but, how do you feel about this defense going forward without Matt Milano, without Daquan Jones? Like the expectations obviously shifted on what it can be, but like, what are you really expecting from them? Can they still be a top 10 unit? Can they be a top 15 unit? Or are they going to start falling down the ranks when they play good offenses now? Depending on how McDermott can scheme up and play call the defense, they could still be a top 10 if he still knows how to simulate pressure and, you know, make you think they're sending five, six guys, but only send four at a time. Uh, but just to go over the uh, impacts of Milano and Daquan, uh, Milano, you're talking about a guy who can defend both the pass and the run. He's mm-hmm. a first-team All-Pro. He's a Pro Bowler. He's He was on pace for a career high in tackles. He had 30 so far this year, I believe, and that would have topped uh, 100, 101 would have, would have been his uh, career high, I do believe. Uh, I picked up on this stat. His passer rating when target passer rating allowed when targeted was 28. The next best was a linebacker was 52.1. So he's a cut above as far as pass defense for linebackers is concerned. Um, losing him, he's, he's a vocal leader out there. And you see a, a Bernard being a 
just as much of a vocal leader, getting guys into position and so forth. But you'd want to have a couple of guys out there, at least in that regard. So Milano is not a guy you can easily, you can probably compensate for some of the plays you can make with uh, the depth you have, but uh, he's not someone that it's like, it's like, remember the Titans, you cannot replace a Matt Milano. Uh, as far as Daquan <laughs> Jones goes, uh, PFF says he is the best defensive lineman in pass rush productivity in the NFL and the sixth best of any pass rusher. Uh, a 76.9 grade. That was the fifth best of any defensive tackle. Uh, we felt his absence last year in the Bengals playoff game. Uh, so basically, Puna Ford and Tim Settler are going to have to step up their game in order to replace Daquan. But I don't think some people are arguing that Daquan may be the most, at least the second most, if not the most important defensive player on the de- entire defense. And that's saying a lot for him. Mm-hmm. So you, you're missing a big key guy on the defensive line. You're missing a big key guy in linebacker. And now and on top of missing a big key guy in the secondary. So, I mean, they have other guys who are stepping up in each of those uh, different levels of the defense. Uh, I, I think they can still be a top 10 defense. And especially with some of the opponents that are coming up they can probably you know have a field day with them and try to get their confidence back and i wouldn't call them preseason games per se but definitely they can get some confidence going in and figuring figure out what they need to do without uh having a big margin of error but it's certainly going to hurt them going forward i there's there are some people i believe uh who was it uh pat moran Mm -hmm. uh argues that uh, the yeah. loss of Trey Milano and Daquan really hurts their Super Bowl chances, that they'll still win games. They might still win the division. But when it comes down to the playoffs and getting in there with the, the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Dolphins, that this could really cost them in the long run if they can't hold back some of those offenses from uh, the plays that they need to make and if we had to play catch-up with our offense. Yeah, it's a legitimate worry. I mean, to just you, you just see it, the like you said, the impact Jones has had pass rushing this year and just run stopping too. that like you said in that Bengals game it was evident that he was missing Joe Mixon had his way with the Buffalo Bills defense and this is a defense that has had struggles stopping the run for years man since Sean McDermott has really been here they've had and especially had some spot games where they got killed they, I always remember that what was that uh game against the Saints where they had like 350 yards rushing oh, or yeah. something crazy like that like there's there's those types of games that worry me and even this Sunday like this is one of the luckily they like you said they're playing essentially preseason games if you want to call that that's the 31st and 32nd ranked <laughs> offenses they have the next two weeks so oh, yeah good couple weeks to get a defense in line with some injuries and try to figure out who needs to play but if Saquon Barkley plays on Sunday I'm terrified of Saquon Barkley running and I know that there's that line has been terrible that D team has been terrible but like those are the types of game breakers I feel like now with the way that this defense is that like McDermott can scheme he can do a lot of things but if Saquon makes you know Balin Spector miss in the open field after he squeezes through he's going for 35 yards you know and I just feel like those plays are more susceptible and that's what I'm really concerned about are the explosives without a Matt Milano without uh you know a Tredavious White in the secondary and, and Dane Jackson this week who's not practiced for two days in a row like there we're gonna see Kyrie Elam again who did not he, he got he drew the the Ridley assignment mm-hmm. and didn't didn't do great last week and I didn't expect I expected Ridley to have a big game because it just seemed like that you know Lawrence at first of all Lawrence has been looking his way 
almost every other throw he's throwing to Calvin Ridley basically for the Jags, but it seemed like he was primed for a good matchup and he had one. So there's just a lot of like, I don't like, there's just so many question marks that I just don't know if I can put them in a top 10 category, but when it comes to a playoff run for me, this team, if this team goes 10 and seven this year, and they go into the playoffs as a wild card, and they still have an elite defensive line who's getting a lot of sacks. The defense is going to be the, the thing I think about this defense now is the D line has always been the strength going into the year. And even without Jones, with Miller coming back, that's still their strength is going to be their pass rushing and getting pressure with four. Hopefully, they're going to mostly get pressure with four because I doubt the blitzes are going to be coming, you know more often with the injuries to Milano and in the secondary and everything else. But the formula, there's so many teams in the in recent NFL history too, that make the playoffs, get to the wild card, have an elite pass rush and have an offense that can put up points and they get through and get to the Super Bowl. And this Bill's offense, it's, I mean, Allen's playing the best, like at least to it, like a lot of the advanced mixers and everything else, the best he's ever played in his career. So this offense, I still feel like can carry them to four wins in a row when it comes to January if Von Miller and Greg Rousseau and Ed Oliver are playing also at the top of their games too, you know? So that's like, I understand thinking, you know, that there's going to be a drop-off, but I don't think that, I don't think it's a death knell to their Super Bowl. It's a huge shot. Don't get me wrong. And I don't feel that they're getting way more respect in Vegas and, and from the markets and everything that I would imagine them getting but i think that's just how fucking good josh allen is and we're gonna see him now a little more desperate and they're gonna have to be a little more aggressive and they're gonna have to lean on the offense more than mcdermott probably wanted to coming into this year being a more balanced unit and leaning on this defense more so i don't know i think they have to lean into the fastball and that's allen and Diggs, and that's why i brought up Diggs at the beginning too because like Diggs is that's what's going to get them to where they need to go is good enough defense and leaning on the offense and i think the d-line can make them a good enough defense to get there yeah at the end of the day i'm chalking this or at least i'm hoping to chalk this up uh injuries aside because that's going to be a lingering thing going forward i'm hoping to chalk this up to just a weird game overseas because um, besides the jets game this is the first time we've seen them really looking off and i don't think that's a coincidence if we can touch on that Oh, yes, please. Please, can we talk about this? Because I, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week. Like, man, well, I guess we'll just see, like, what this strategy is. And they came out, they just looked slow, and the Jags didn't. Like, there's there's no, like, you can, and you play, teams don't, or fans didn't want to use that as an excuse. I think I put that in a group chat, and so, and I got roasted right away. Or I put it on Twitter and got roasted right away. And I'm like, it's it's not an excuse for losing the game, but you clearly they didn't come out ready. They did not come out firing off. So, yeah, what, how did you feel about this? Well, there's a few things in this game that uh, people traditionally could use as excuses, like the, obviously people going down on defense. Uh, Von Miller said it, just today it was some of the worst turf he's ever played on. Uh, little fact, uh, some of those Premier League teams, if they come over to the U.S. and they usually do friendly games, they will only exclusively play on grass fields. And I don't think that's a coincidence. So, and Tottenham had that field. They do have grass before the NFL. Yeah, and they, they didn't want the, the NFL, NFL tearing it up before one of their games. I guess. Mm -hmm. 
Now, penalties, obviously, the refs in this game, we could go over at least a couple of things. The Poirier roughing penalty where he couldn't have possibly seen the receiver catch that ball. He was trying to just make a play. And uh, the refs picking up the flag at the end of the game on the onside kick when the Jags clearly batted the ball out of bounds. I mean, and you could argue there might be one or two uh, penalties the other way that uh, the Jags fans would say were ticky-tack. But uh, overall, it was just a very poorly officiated game and a very poorly broadcast game where you, besides the Spanish broadcast going off in the first quarter, they weren't showing half of, or at least three quarters of the replays on critical plays or critical penalties or th- anything to that effect. But besides all that, I think jet lag was a big factor. There have been a couple of people I've heard saying uh, some of the guys on the uh, in, in the Hunt guest, which I am a fan of. I love those guys. They make me laugh. And uh, Jeremy White on the GR Morning Show, who is one of my favorite guys to listen to. I always listen to them every day. But uh, some people have been uh, poo-pooing the effect of jet lag. And I'm not here to say it was the cost of the game because as the Steve Tasker from Four Falls of Buffalo thing always says, you know, there's always that one play that would have been, if it would have been different, we would beat them, you know? Mm-hmm. And we've gone over one or two of those plays, the uh, the jump ball with Diggs. Mm-hmm. But uh, here's some of the things that I've uh, noted here. Not only did Sean McDermott, but also Stefan Diggs said that they just couldn't match the Jags' er- energy. Josh Allen was saying that he was drinking caffeine uh, as a lot more than usual. He usually doesn't drink coffee, but he was drinking caffeine all day to fight the jet lag. Uh, some of uh, some of the other uh, podcasters and uh, uh, content creators out there, uh, Ryan Talbot and uh, Matt Perino from the Shop Podcast said they were exhausted at least a couple of days afterward. They were sleeping in until nine thirty or something to that effect. Uh, Pat Duffy from CMF and Let's Go Duffalo says he's still on jet lag days later. He's staying in Buffalo with his family to have a little London vacation, and he isn't. There are some effects that he's had on his jet lag, which I will not go into. He's <laughs> talked about them enough on his uh, morning show, and uh, they were sort of graphic in nature. You can yeah, go listen you. to the podcast yeah. <laughs> as far as that. Things that hadn't happened to him before. It, these things can affect normal people. And, you know, you might say that top athletes shouldn't have that much of an effect on them. But if you're trying to be at your peak performance, then I would say that uh, even the slightest bit of effect is going to, uh, have an effect on you. Uh, Joe Marino, uh, when he on the lockdown bills, when he looks at the all 22, he was indicating a team wide lack of sharpness. And then the kicker was Travis Etienne over on the Jaguars side said that in the previous week against the Falcons, I do believe, which they did win, I should say, but they, he, he felt that they were sleepwalking that whole time and having to, the time to adjust the bills. He felt Travis Etienne felt was a big advantage, a big edge over the bills. They felt more pre- prepared to play. Uh, People, some people have said that there's no science to back this up, and I completely disagree. Uh, a website called Fatigue Science says that traveling east westward is less problematic than traveling eastward, and West Coast teams feel this all the time, but yes. uh, they do it on a rate on an annual basis, and they're only traveling three hours. The Bills never have to travel eastward because of the nature of where they are in the country. Yep. They had to travel five hours eastward for this game and it's not something that he had done since before the mcdermott administration came in so whatever their sports science people were thinking about you know flying in on thursday friday morning uh, on their uh, london time i think it was a big uh, misplay we were speculating that maybe the jaguars having to sit around london having made this trip before might be you know getting a little antsy about getting home but maybe as bored as you might be as much as you've how many times you've been to big ben and seen all the sites before your body physiologically after two or three days, yeah. if it's had time to adjust, that looks like to be a big advantage. And we're going to see going forward, whether that's 
holds true for other teams because the Ravens and Titans are going to play next in London. The Ravens have said they're leaving early for London, and the Titans have said they're, I believe, leaving on that Thursday, Friday morning schedule. So the Ravens look like a better team regardless, a little bit better, but we're going to see how that effect plays out, especially from the comments of the athletes after that particular game. It's going to be interesting for me to see at least. That's a, it's a great points all around. And I think that you mentioned the thing about, you know, you expect professional athletes to be able, like it shouldn't affect them as much, but when all things are similar, like these are two teams that are, you know, they're both very good teams. They're very like similar talent levels, everything else. If there's that little bit of difference that they have the advantage over it, it's, it can be, it can be astronomical in a game like that. And like you said, like there's, I didn't know what it, I didn't know what the motivation level would be from the Jags for being there another week. You know, you see a lot of teams, uh, you think of hockey and basketball a lot where teams are on like a four game, five game road trip on the West coast or on the East coast, whatever opposite coast. And usually that last game, you're like schedule loss. Like that's just an L they want to get home. They usually are just done and they're tired from everything. And so I was like, is that what it's going to be for the Jags or like what ended up happening for the Jags? And it was clearly the opposite. And yeah, like there's, you can't you can't just speed up jet lag like all the coffee in the world is not going to fix Josh Allen and make him feel better and so yeah that sharpness is is key man and it's it's a team that was and it's a team that they couldn't just walk through you know like if they were playing the Raiders in London and did that it might have been to be able to get a win out and everything but that's a good Jags team who's going to compete for a playoff spot and compete for the division their division and everything else so, yeah, I, I'm completely with you. I think it was a huge deal. It's not the only reason they, they failed to execute still, but who knows what mental effect it had on all those guys. And we'll never be able to, like, just speak to that on this podcast. But it, it's clear there was some kind of effect in that game from what they were feeling from the travel and everything else. Agreed. Um, where do you have them now? We're talking about the AFC contenders. Where do you have them now? The Bills. They're three and two. They're one game back of the Dolphins again. So Dolphins fans are celebrating their week five AFC East lead right hmm. now. Um, the, the the Chiefs are four and one. The Jags three and two. I believe the Ravens are four and one as well. Um, I personally still feel like all the AFC contenders have flaws. And maybe the Bills' injuries are a bigger flaw than most, but none of these teams have been world beaters like the you know san francisco 49ers level on the other side of the other side of the conference or other conference there so how do you feel about their place among uh that group of the top tier and i guess throw the Bengals in there after a nice bounce back win last yeah it's good. it'll be interesting to see how the Bengals develop if they look like the team of this is what they do right like they yeah. start slow and then just win a bunch of games so it might just be time for them again well, they started so last year just naturally. Yeah. This year, you could chalk it up more to uh, Joe Burrow's inability to throw long because of his uh, leg sure. injury. But it looks like he's gotten over that at least temporarily. Uh, among AFC AFC contenders, yeah, the the Chiefs haven't wor- looked like world leaders. They struggled to beat the Jags on a regular, you know, home soil game. Uh, I wouldn't. I would say the Ravens have their flaws. They you, you thought they were a uh, a good team going in. Uh, the Jaguars, obviously, that's tough. We're going to lose a tiebreaker to them going forward. Uh, like I said, I chalk this game. I'm going to chalk the majority of this game up to jet lag and yeah. just uh, play calling, bad play calling as it is. If if we can get back to under center play action and we can just you know have Eastern Standard Time games to <laughs> you know play under, I think we should be good going forward. And it'll it'll be hard to see what level they're on, especially when we're going to talk about you know 
our predictions versus the Giants, and then the Patriots are going to be after that. It's going to be hard to gauge them because we should expect them to not just handle these teams, but like dominate them. Yeah. It's not going to be for a couple more weeks until they see more substantial uh, competition that we're mm-hmm. going to be able to gauge where they are. If in fact they do what we expect them to do, what they should do. Yeah. Even the game after the Patriots is Thursday night against the Bucks, who the Bucks have been good, better this year, but I still feel like the Bills are a class ahead of them. So yeah, the, before they play another elite team or a team that's really going to challenge them, we have some time there. So they might be able to just get by and then we'll see real issues come up. But that's exciting for me to get Von Miller back, back ramped up more than anything, because I mean, that's, that's an opportunity. I think these next couple of games to see where this defense is and try to get him and get them all get that defensive line cooking again. Cause that's going to be their biggest way to, I think, take out these contenders that you're talking about. Um, so what about the division though, with Miami, a game ahead, their schedule, they've got some tough games coming up. I know they've got the chiefs in London in a few weeks or Germany in a few weeks. They've got the Eagles on the schedule. Um, but I just feel like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not feeling good about the division right now, Mike. I'm not going to lie. I just feel like the dolphins are going to pace, pace the competition a lot just because they're going to blow a lot of teams out too. Yeah. I, the, Dol- the Dolphins look like they can blow out normal teams, normal non-Sean mm-hmm. McDermott coach teams. Um, we can blow out some of those teams ourselves if we're it's not, true. like I said, if we're not traveling overseas eastward five hours. Um, I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna stay ahead of us by one game, then that's gonna be really disheartening for us, even though we have a game up on them. And the fact the fact that we can't get a, an extra game up on them until the very end of the season, which is the when the rematch occurs in mm-hmm. Miami. So. Yeah, I, I still feel good about being competitive in the division just because it's only it's the Dolphins and us. Yeah. Uh, but if they're going to start picking up wins because they don't face any other stiff defenses, uh, then it's going to be tough for us despite getting one over on them. Yeah. Just got to keep right here in this spot right here. If they're one game back going into that week 18, I mean, they've got the, the head-to-head right now. So that's all we need to be don't even need to be tied for first place going into week 18 as long as the bills are in this exact spot stay where they are in week five at the very least everything's still in front of them winning the division and having a home playoff game and everything else i think they can do that but it's just scary watching the dolphins just you know obliterate um lesser competition and just wonder how are they going to slip up somewhere when they're doing this i feel like it's going to happen but Tua's been amazing, man. Like Tua is just, and I, it, the thing is, yeah, I just don't know. I, I, it's going to happen. I just don't know where, and I'm not going to predict it to happen. I think that the, I think that we'll come down to week, week 18 though. And it'll be like a, a 12 and four dolphins versus 11 and five bills. I really do feel like that's where we're going to, we're going to be hanging around and we'll see what happens from there. But um, we got a game on Sunday night. Like you said, the bills 14 point favorites right now mm. against Brian Dayball and the visiting New York football giants who they're struggling a little bit. They're just, the things are just not going great in New York. This was a playoff team last year who is not looking like a playoff team this year. That's for sure. Um, Daniel Jones might play, might not. It could be Tarod Taylor, which would just be, I mean, the, the, <laughs> How funny would it be if it's like Tarod Taylor, Isaiah Hodgins, and Cole Beasley facing the oh, Bills yeah. on Sunday night? Like it would just be just such a weird thing to see in this big Sunday night matchup with Dayball back in town. But what are you expecting from this? Do you think that they cover the 14? Do you have any worries about the Giants keeping it close this week? 
any worries about coming back from London and maybe the guy's still adjusting? Like, how are you feeling about this game coming up on Sunday? Well, the Giants made a couple of splash plays against the Dolphins that kept that game within a couple of scores. Yeah. So that that's the only way I can see them keeping this game close. As far as all the ex-Bills coming back, I mean, the, the narrative that it's a revenge game for all these guys, I think that only would apply to Isaiah Hodgkins because he was the one that was put like put on the practice squad and like yeah. uh, picked up by the Giants and all of a sudden is productive and all the fans here are clamoring, well, why didn't we see this in Isaiah Hodgkins? And he might have the same thoughts himself but uh Cole Beasley was brought back last year in the during the end of the playoff run he was given a chance to produce he may have caught one or two reasonably uh, relevant passes uh Tyrod Taylor he led us so to speak to our the end of our playoff drought uh but wasn't good enough to get us any farther than that and coach Dable what were you what were we supposed to do you know hold him back from his promotion yeah uh I I I don't think any most of these guys besides Isaiah don't really have a revenge on their mind, but it is interesting to see all the different dynamics of uh, the Bills Giants connections coming into play and who would have the advantage in that if all things were equal. I mean, uh, McDermott probably knows how Dable thinks in his offense, but Dable knows most, of, if not the entire personnel of the Bills offensively and defensively. I would usually. My thought is when these revenge games come up, when ex-coaches play their old teams, I would think the ex-coaches usually have the uh, advantage factor because the Bills are not as familiar with the Giants personnel as Coach Dayball is with the Bills personnel. But that being said, we're talking about a Giants team that's dead last in total offense, the 31st in scoring, the Patriots are 31st, by the way, the 32nd, by the way, I should say. Uh, they're 27th in total defense, 29th in scoring defense. Ooh. I mean, these guys are just looking to be torn apart. And yeah. especially if Daniel and Saquon are not playing, especially if Saquon's not playing. I mean, I don't think it oh, makes yeah. a difference if Daniel Jones is playing versus to Rod Taylor. Uh, I mean, as fun as that'll be, but they're the worst combined. The Giants are the worst combined offensive and defensive EPA per play on top of that. Mm. So, I mean, they're just looking. If they're not disheartened by now, they should be disheartened by the end of this game. I, I'm predicting I'm predicting the Bills will cover 14, but not by too much more than that. Okay. I'm I'm completely with you. I think Saquon, if Saquon plays, there's a couple explosive plays that will will keep the Giants not in the game, but close-ish within a couple possessions for most of the time. But you mentioned those Giants defensive stats. And I think that the Bills and Josh Allen specifically know like with the like I said earlier, the defensive injuries and everything else, like they're gonna have to be more aggressive and be more up tempo and and try to you know get teams out of these games early by scoring a ton of points. I don't think that I don't think the Giants can do anything to the Bills' offense. I don't think they can do anything to slow them down. I, I would imagine that opening drive for the Bills, they walk right down the field, and that's what I expect from a lot of the night. So I think the Bills, I think the Bills cover. I think it's probably like a thirty-eight seventeen type of type of game maybe 38 20 somewhere around there but i still think the giants are going to get some points and they're going to have like you said they had some big chunk plays against the dolphins i think dable will be able to scheme up some good chunk plays and this is a kitchen sink game for the giants too so i'm sure there's going to be some trick plays everything else like they're going to pull everything out that they can but i just i don't think it's going to matter i think the bills offense is going to be too dominant on this night and that's what sets them apart and i'm hoping for a huge josh allen game it would be nice if a national uh after the Monday night debacle of he on Sunday night had like a 450 yard five touchdown performance or something like that. And even if it's against the giants, at least that would 
uh, I don't know, just feel good to be feel good for Bills fans watching in front of a national audience again and see the team uh, show out a little bit rather than the last two times. Yeah, it'll be nice to have beat up a New Jersey team for a change instead of them <laughs> humiliating, humiliating us on primetime television. We still have a chance to have a winning new record against New Jersey this year. We gotta mm. gotta get this one though. All right. So before we go, Bill or Broncos Chiefs tonight. <laughs> Taylor Swift in the building, Mike. I'm sure that that's what you were looking forward to. Can the can Russ and the Broncos do anything tonight? Or is this gonna be just keep watching ho- hockey after the Sabres game, throw on, throw on ESPN plus and find a 10 o'clock game. Yeah. Kelsey is going to play. He's going to be heavily taped up. So he might be a little hobbled. He might not be himself, but I'm sure uh, Patrick's going to get the ball to his boy while his girl's in attendance. Yeah. Uh, both of these teams are actually closer in scoring offense than I saw when I was looking up their uh, overall stats. Casey, 25.6 points per game, Denver 24.2. So Ooh, the world beating okay. Casey offense is not, quite firing on ulcer. I mean, 25 points per game is nothing to sneeze at, but Denver being right there with them, um, that puts them in sort of the the middle, upper middle of the pack in the NFL. Yeah. But of course, the Den- Denver on the other side, dead last in scoring defense, allowing 36.2 points per game. So, I mean, the, it's going to be not unlike the Bills and the Giants. Casey's gonna, it's going to be a get-right game for Casey. They're going to eat them for lunch. And yeah, I'm sure Amazon Prime is going to have like the 10 million more subscriptions with all the Swifties coming on to watch the game. So good for them. <laughs> the you mentioned the Chiefs' offense. In five games, they have one game over 27 points. They beat the Bears 41 to 10 in the original Swifty game, and the Bears were the Bears still are a mess. But other than that. They lost week one, scored 20 points, only 17 against the Jags, 23 at the Jets, and 27 last week. That's why I was talking, when I was talking about the, among the AFC contenders, like there's all these teams are flawed. KC, if there are people, the Bills, the betting markets still love the Bills just as much really as KC. But KC's offense is the pass catchers specifically. Like they've had issues being explosive this year. And maybe that happens again tonight. But I think uh, – Mahomes has like a there's like some crazy streak right now they have over the Broncos too. It's like 11, 10 or eleven game I think, win streak. I think it goes back to the Peyton that. Manning area era yeah. that they and have had a winning streak. It's almost like a what we've experienced with uh, Tom Brady, the Patriots. Yeah, that's what this feels like tonight. So I think that uh, I think the Chiefs get it done. But I'm you you're right on it with the the Chiefs struggles because there's something something to be said about a team that you're exposed to be you know, as we just have in our mind is the high flying offense, Mahomes up and down the field and everything. And they've only hit, hit over 30 points one time. It's against the bears. Does that really count? Like the anybody could score 30 mm. points against bears. I could score 30 points against the bears, I think. So I don't know. We'll see. It should be a fun the game. Broncos would... score 30 points against the bears. That tells you everything. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so yeah, I think that, I think the chiefs win like I think they get to 30 tonight. I'll say 31 to 17. I think that's where we'll look at, but I'm, I don't know the chiefs. It's an interesting, interesting year in the AFC because I really am not, I'm just not impressed by any of the contender, like top, like not, I shouldn't say impressed, but just, I'm not sold on anybody yet. Like I would have been the last couple of years. Like the, the Bengals obviously have, have had their issues, but maybe it's just health and they're going to figure it out. The Ravens have won the games in front of them, but they've had, they haven't looked like the you know 14 and 3 Ravens from a couple years ago and the MVP level Lamar from a couple years ago the the Browns are dealing with injury issues after a good start the AFC South is just 
who knows like <laughs> it could be the jags if, it, if it's gardner Minshew or cj stroud like yeah wins the division who knows like it's an interesting time in the afc what a narrative flip that the NFC now has a couple of world beaters and the 49ers and the Eagles atop their mountain. And the AFC seems to be a mishmash of a, a few contenders it's and crazy. pretenders. Yeah, it's crazy. How are we feeling about the Sabres tonight and the overall? I mean, I'm looking Ooh. forward to Devin Levi standing on his head the whole season through because A, he's that good, and B, he wants that kind of responsibility. And he only just got here. He's only going to get better after that. Uh, as far as only backup goalie and you know defensive depth is the only thing that can really uh, hinder them. So I'm looking forward to uh, a very dangerous team, especially when they're wearing those black and reds. Yeah, well, they, yeah, this they they're they're a, they're a different level in the black and reds, the evil sabers. Uh, you're speaking, Mike. This is why you're such a great co-host because you just speak my <laughs> language sometimes. I am full all in on Devin Levi as a guy that. Like he's he's defied expectations literally his entire career. No one thought he was gonna make Team Canada. No one thought he was gonna be the starter at Northeastern. No one thought he was gonna step into the NHL and be effective. Like I, or you know a starter, a star, whatever. And he's gonna take the reins tonight. And I expect big things from Levi. I'm, I'm excited. I'm I'm really optimistic about the team this year. I said it's uh, our friend Ronnie mess texted me the other day and said on a scale of one to ten, how do you feel about the Sabers making the playoffs? And I said like a six point five to seven. And they missed it by one point last year. That division is very tough. So like, that's the biggest thing is like any injury slip ups, like you said, the defensive depth, if they have some injuries, especially to Darlene or power, there could be a lot of goals that start coming in. And the thing that I think that this team will be able to get over that they haven't had, that they've had trouble with the last couple of years is those big, long losing streaks and the long lulls. Like that's what killed them last year. They don't yeah. have an eight game losing streak last year. They, they make the playoffs. I think that's what they eliminate this year. And it gets them into a, I'll say they make a wild card spot safely. They make the first wild card and they will play. Mm. They'll play in the playoffs. I think this is, I think this is a good enough roster if they're, they're healthy most of the year and the guys are just going to get better. Like, that's the thing is that like, I saw someone trying to say, well, Thompson can't possibly get to 96 points again. It's like, well, no one thought he was going to get to 96 in the first place. So why can't he get to 96 again? Like, there's a lot of that going on with this team. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about it. And I think that tonight, um, I think they're going to win tonight because that place is going to be just juiced up. And you know how they play when they've had the the last couple of years when it's been a packed barn and they felt the energy. I think they're going to come out flying tonight and have a nice 5-2 win. That's my prediction. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure they can feed off the crowd, but uh... – I, I I know nothing about the Rangers and much about the how how really tough the division is, but uh, we thought the Bills were going to come flying out of the gate versus the <laughs> Jets against Zach Wilson of all guys, especially after Aaron Rodgers went down. And look what happened there. Obviously, diff- different sport, different. That's why I'm. That's why we're, it's got to happen this time. If it happened bad <laughs> the first time, I'd say we're getting a good one. You know? No, I feel you. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to come in. Uh, too crazy you never know with these new york teams what they're gonna what they're gonna pull off are the rangers rangers are gonna be good this year but that's why this is a good litmus test too because the rangers are supposed to be a team that is top of their division everything else if the sabers can come out and handle a team like this on opening night it'll be a it'll be good vibes all around for uh for sabers fans and everything else alike but that division is the division is going to be tough there's i don't there's not really there's not a team that I would say is like a bad team. There's just going to be teams that fall down the rankings because they have to, I think. So it's going to be a fun season, though. We've got, Listen, even with all the Bills injuries, this is 
in my lifetime, the most exciting time for Buffalo sports between the two teams and the most uh, optimistic um, and the highest expectations for sure. So enjoy the ride more than anything, because it's going to be a fun season, I think, no matter what. And I hope we hear some high school musical tonight from your guy, (laughs) Principal Skinner there, because that that's talk about keeping the vibes high. Jeff Skinner is the ultimate vibes guy. So hoping we get some goals from him. That's a great shirt. I wanted to shout your shirt out before we left. Thanks. There. 26 um, shirts. Hell yeah. 26 shirts hat too as well. Go get that there. Um, that's it. We paid the bills. Go watch the Sabres game. Thank you, Mike. Thank you fans. Thank you everybody. Sunday night football against the giants. We'll be back here next week to break it all down.